Welcome back to the Knowing Place Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Smith. That was a little Robert Glasper featuring her and Michelle Indigiocello. Good, good stuff right there. So glad you decided to join me again for another episode. And this is the first episode of 2021. So I'm excited to get it out here and get some more material out for you. Um, in this episode, me and my colleague, Mr. Zach Schaefer, decided to get together and have a not a round table conversation because only the two of us but a conversation an open transparent conversation on our perspectives on riots and protests the driving factors in those things so we broached topics like you know justice race things of this nature and factors that influence these these things so join me as we discuss these topics give our perspectives And hopefully you can glean something from them. I think you'll enjoy it. So hang tight. We'll get going here in a second. Um, Basically, how to, what to do with injustice and what to do with the responses to injustice. I'm trying to think. It probably was at least partially in response to... uh, what was it, Tuesday that the Capitol, um, I don't know, what do you even call it? Riot, takeover. I see. Wasn't really takeover. Yeah, yeah. something. Infiltration. So anyway, um, I actually have some things I'd love to hear from you, but let me just, before I grill questions at you, let me throw it wide open and any thoughts you've got on when you hear the topic, injustice, riots, response, that kind of thing. Mm. Those type of words evoke for me um, thoughts of inequality, lack of resources, lack of education, and in many cases, a lack of hope. Um, Hope for not seeing, lack of hope for things changing unless some type of action is taken in order to maybe affect the desired change or at least bring attention to um, any given issue. That's powerful. Unpack it some more, if you would, please. Um, 
I'm assuming you're thinking along race, but it could be something else. It could be, yeah, it's just not just race. Um, if we think about, and I think this comes with, uh, you know, with age for sure, with wisdom and age. Um, if we stop to, you've got one, I've got the other. <laughs> well, Continue, I think we know please. which is which. Continue, please. If we think about, um. <clears throat> You know, as we get older, at least I speak for myself, I learned to, before reacting, before responding, before coming up with a concept in my mind about someone else, another group, I first put myself in their shoes. I try to put myself in their shoes from their perspective first and try to consider what they may see and think and feel. And usually what that does, it, it, it humbles you and allows you to say, okay, I can see if that was me, how I may react that way. As opposed to just prejudging, as we talked about that day, as, as opposed to having a prejudice standpoint saying, oh, that group, those people are behaving as I've heard they do or as I've always believed they do, yeah, which can be unfair for an entire group, culture, whatever. So I think... um. Imp Having empathy or developing an empathy by putting yourself in other shoes before formulating a response, a reaction, a label for that for said group. Isn't that true? By the way, you students who've logged on, <clears throat> excuse me, we are here primarily to serve you guys. So I've got a whole slew of questions and topics, but if you or questions on the topic, but you are more than welcome to speak up and uh, share whatever you're curious about. Um, so, um, well, let me say this and then um, hear your thoughts if you got anything. So this morning I reread a um, letter from a Birmingham jail. Mm -hmm. And man, what a great... That is a piece of literature I, I wish every certainly every American, maybe every human being who is capable of it could read. Um, it's great stuff. But I say that because one of the things that I didn't catch previously was the four steps that MLK said he lays out in addressing injustice. Um, and it kind of connects with what you were saying. And I say this because I think these are steps that we don't always take. And if, if we listen to MLK's wisdom, I think it would help us a lot. So according to him, step one was examination. Like, let's look and see if there really is a problem or if it's just a bunch of people raising cane. And obviously, I think it's pretty clear there is a problem. Um, so figure out exactly what the problem is. Like, is it, you called it redlining a couple podcasts ago? Is that what I'm, am I getting the term right? Um, it's, it's the thing where a society has a certain minimum, uh, like, amount of money like they charge a certain thing for groceries purposely in order right. to keep certain minorities red lining is that what it is lining yeah yes sorry. yes red lining red lining yeah sorry that's what i said not red lighting i know right. what red lighting is unfortunately right. <laughs> <laughs> but but so the you examine is red lining really going on here and so that kind of thing figure out it is isn't so that's step one examination step two he said was negotiation which is where you talk with the, the privileged with power and say, look, here's what's going on. Here's why we don't think it's what's best for everybody. Let's change. 
Now, if that doesn't work, which frankly a lot of times it doesn't, this third step is really interesting, and this is kind of what goes into where you're going. He called it self-purification. And he said it's where before we start taking direct action, which is the fourth step, we have to look at ourselves and be sure that what we want to do is right, that we go about it the right way. There's a great line from the letter where he said, our means must be as pure as our end. Mm. Um, and so, like, for example, in the letter, one of the things he talked about was they purposely waited to do their marches and their sit-ins until after all elections and runoffs were over. Mm-hmm. They actually had to delay their sit-ins because there was a runoff that they weren't anticipating. But he said he did it because he did not want to mix the issues. He didn't want people to think they were doing it for any particular candidate. Um, and then the fourth step is direct action, which would be um, what we call civil disobedience, nonviolent nonconformity, you know, um, marches, sit-ins, um, I'm trying to think what other methods he used. Um, But he talked about bringing up tension because he said people with power will not give it up. It has to be um, that their privilege is brought to their attention and then the direct action causes the tension so that you can now go back to stage two, which is negotiation. Um, And hearing you say it when you read that list, and I understand that was his strategy, his formulation for how to approach these types of, uh, of situations. But the negotiation piece is like a like a speck, like a piece of dust in my eye. Okay. In that, one should not have to negotiate to be treated as a human being. One shouldn't have to negotiate being respected as a person. To, to, to have to, to be in a position where you feel you have to negotiate certain inalienable rights to use some of the verbiage of our illustrious documents that we hold in such high esteem, certain things shouldn't have to be negotiated. Whether or not you eat tonight, that should not be negotiable for any person. You know, sleeping outside, that shouldn't be negotiable. You should have that option to sleep indoors. Every human being should have that option, you know, things like that. Um, so to to hear to hear that as part of his strategy, part of his list of one of his steps in his approach to nonviolent reform, just the thought of having to negotiate some things that, and again, going to those with power to negotiate things that should not have to be negotiated seem overwhelmingly asinine to me, personally. So do you have another, um, I don't know what the right word is, idea, strategy? Because the original topic was injustice and right. how to deal with it. And I'm not saying that's a bad strategy. I'm just, I guess what I'm saying more so is that it's a shame that the conditions were such that that had to be part of his strategy. Mm-hmm. I agree with the strategy, but it's a shame that that's one of the steps. Mm-hmm. That there is a mindset that there is that there are conditions that exist that require one to negotiate for things that should not have to be negotiated, yeah. no matter what the topic, race or livelihood or uh, making a survivable wage, mm-hmm. whatever the issue. Yeah. Yeah. 
sin is a powerful uh, force and sad that it brings us to that point. So if you want to answer and feel free to pass um, on any of these, what, uh, what are your thoughts on what, hap- what transpired Tuesday with the, you know, taking over the Capitol or whatever? I'll say invading the Capitol because right. I'm not entirely sure what they were trying to do, truth be told. Right. Um, thoughts, reactions? Well, going back to what I said about empathy. Um, if a person or a group of people, for whatever reason, feel they're losing footing or losing power, whether it be true or not, yeah. there will be a response to that fear. Yeah, However, on the flip side of that, you also must be prepared for the repercussions of your action. So don't demonstrate what you would like to demonstrate, but don't, on the flip side, whine because you're prosecuted for it. Yeah. It's part of the process. MLK got arrested probably hundreds of times. He got beaten a few times. That's part of what you get for taking your stand. Mm-hmm. So I can relate to it. I can, I can appreciate, I don't know if that's the right word, their fear and their reaction to that fear, be it right or wrong. Yeah. But I can also appreciate, okay, here's what we're going to do because you violated some laws in your demonstration. So it's part of the process. It's part of the yeah. It's interesting to me because I think they skipped, and I think a lot of people, when they demonstrate, mm-hmm. skip step three, self-purification. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm using King's words. Um, just before we take action, let's look at ourselves and think about what's the best way to go about this? What are we really trying to do? Because, again, I'm not sure what was going on Tuesday. Right. And that's just an example. Like, What is your goal you know, there are some things that a demonstration can do that a conversation cannot. And reverse, there are some things that a conversation can do that a demonstration cannot. Mm-hmm. You know, demonstrations are great for showing solidarity and support. A conversation is really good for um, changing hearts and minds, for mm-hmm. uh, dialogue, uh, invitation, that kind of thing. You're right, because if you think about it, if I come to, if I'm demonstrating in front of your house, your first yeah. reaction is let me defend my house. Right. That's not exactly going to open me up to. Not at all. After the fact, you might say, "Oh, is that why you were doing that?" Well, yeah. I was thinking about pulling out my shotgun first, though. Now I see what you meant, as opposed to we're having a conversation, and you can see what I mean from jump, as opposed to what am I here yeah. for at first. So, mm-hmm. to your point there, I'm curious for your thoughts again. All questions are optional. What are your thoughts on uh, what I'll call cancel culture? The idea mm-hmm. that, you know, if you even, whatever, support certain views, we're done. You know, you're toxic, <clears throat> whatever. Yeah, that's another one of those slippery slopes um, okay. because it can be used maliciously. It's one of those, we- no, I don't want to say weapon, I guess it is weaponized, but it's it's one of those things where, I don't know, is it ever really justifiable? Because as we talked about the other day, every, everything's redeemable. Yeah. So it's tricky. Um, I think as, as Christians especially, we should be very, very, very slow to cut anybody off. 
to cancel them out. I don't want to say never. Right. But, um, like, um, it's, so there was, and I'm talking about cancel culture because that tends to be a response that is um, utilized against injustice, or at least, you know, supporters of certain ideas that are unjust. And I think it's funny because it's kind of like the demonstration. If I cancel somebody, if I say block you or I'm not going to talk to you or whatever, like that person is not going to be like, oh, they just blocked me. Maybe I am holding some wrong views. You know, maybe I really should think about what I'm like. That's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just going to entrench them in their views all the more. Because it's like, oh, those supporters of so-and-so, that's right. They just cut everybody off. I ain't coming over to them. Um, I was, uh, my wife and I are slowly watching The Office, and we watched the diversity episode last night, and a guy comes in and says, uh, jokingly says, oh, are we going to sit in a circle Indian style? Right. And Michael Scott says, we don't talk like that here. This is a welcoming community. Get out. Right. And I just think the juxtaposition of this is a welcoming community. Get yeah, out. Right. Like it's the, you right. know, I'm assuming it was a purposeful, intentional irony there. Like, you know, right. there's Don Wetrick and Jamal Crook are two podcast guys I listen to a lot. And Don in particular has this thing where he says, it's not about call out. It's about call in. Mm. Like if somebody practices something unjust or says something um, hurtful, mm-hmm. it's not about calling them out. It's about calling them in. Hey, listen, you just said that. Would you let me explain to you why I was hurt yes. by that comment? You know, like you're saying, the empathy part, right? Right. Um, and she's another thing I got from the letter from Birmingham jail was MLK said, um, uh, I think he said, uh, individuals can see the moral light, but it is very difficult for groups to do so. Mm-hmm. Individuals may be moral, but groups very often are immoral. Um, I don't really know that I have any good answer or response to that, but I thought that was a very helpful thing to realize that. It's hard to change groups, especially, as you said, if you've got power and you feel that power going away, even if it needs to, you're going to react. And group group members tend to take on the personality of the group, even against their own better judgment sometimes. Yeah. You know, how many times you heard circumstances where some guy goes along with a group to go do something they shouldn't, and all along he's like, I know I shouldn't be going, but you get caught up in that group dynamic and suddenly you're part of the yeah, that's true. But like you said, too, though, with the cancel culture, um, it can cause the person that's being or the group that's being canceled to just entrench deeper into what they think. Mm-hmm. Or it can cause them to become super fake and pretend. Is that true? So, hey, let's do what we got to do not to get canceled. So I might fire an employee from my company, not that I because I disagree with what you said, but I don't want people to think I like what you said. So I'll cancel you. I'll fire you because it'll look like I'm standing with those who are trying to cancel you. But I really agree with you, but I have to fire you as a casualty of war here because I don't want them to think I agree with you. That's true, man. That's true. Um, There's so much much concern over perception, right? For sure. Um, And it's tough because one of the things 
there's a line from Men in Black. Um, Tommy Lee Jones says, individuals are smart, people are stupid. Um, mm. Again, individual versus group. Right. Because the group likes to think about, um, or the group has whatever, a code, written or unwritten. Right. And an individual can think, you know, can think things through, but if you violate, you know, the, whatever, the um, group code, you get canceled from within that group that you really want to be part of. Right. Um, 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 or group or, like, that, that stands to be like cultural codes. I don't know if you've seen the movie Free State of Jones. I've not. Is it good? Oh my gosh, you have to see that. Okay. I think it's historically true. Too, right. You the, know. Is it Matthew McConaughey? Or yeah, where he's like helping slaves escape and yeah. helping, you know, I'm sure at a, there was a time for that man where he was a part of the group, the culture that supported this type of economic, social paradigm. Mm hmm. And as an individual, though, he knew in his heart this is not how things should be. And he was willing to sacrifice and go against the grain and risk whatever he was willing to risk to do what he felt was right. That's awesome. Um, as opposed to faking it. Like you said, it, it's, you can fake it so that you appease or appeal to the cancel culture. Right. Or you can be real and say, well, I support what he did. And I'm going to keep him on my, in my company and I'll just take the hit on my company. And just stand on what you believe to be right, be it right or wrong. Yeah. I can respect I can respect you standing on what you believe, even if I don't like it, as opposed to you faking it and really feeling another way with make, trying to make me believe you. Yeah. I can true? respect I can respect somebody standing on what they believe much better yeah. than faking it all. It's so important to have open dialogue, even if it means somebody might disagree with you or in economic terms, my company might take a hit because, whatever, this person privately said X or privately went to a Y demonstration or something. Right. Um, oh, there's some, oh for, for my ethics guys for this class, remember, um, a choice is when one value is more important than all the others at the moment. And so one of the things we sometimes have to decide is money or whatever, reputation versus conviction, you know, whatever our particular value might be. Um, in Letter from a Birmingham Jail, uh, Dr. King listed off some of the white ministers who had marched with him um, and faced repercussions. You know, I, I doubt they faced what um, MLK faced. I don't know that any of them were arrested, for example, but... Um, they uh, they chose to be authentic with what was right, even if it cost. And with that being said, I can I can personally relate to or understand okay. a person who this is hypothetical. No, I don't agree with slavery, but I go along with it because I'm in the minority and I don't have the energy or the courage or the I don't care to buck against the system here. So I just go along and get along. Yeah. I get that. So it's not that everybody necessarily is supportive of it. It's just that sometimes it's easier just to stay in the background and just ride the wave of whatever's, mm -hmm. yeah, whatever the culture dictates. That's true. Most people are... If you're primarily concerned about the food on your table and the roof over your head, 
ideals aren't really necessarily very high on your list. Um, there's a, a line from, I'm going way out here, but there's a line from Rogue One where somebody asks Jin Erso, well, how can you stand to see the Imperial flag? Uh, you know, because it's the bad guys are in power. And she says, well, it's not a problem as long as you don't look up. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> so, you know, just right. if if you're, I mean, you know, here's, here's an example. I, and my parents are great people, but... Um, Racism was a part of my family, um, and here's why. It came back to one experience, and tragically, this is what often happens. You have one experience, or parents tell children this, and an entire group is judged because of the actions of one or a few. And this, this person didn't even do anything wrong, but um, my dad's a blue-collar worker and has been his whole life, and um, this is back when affirmative action first became a really big thing. And he did not get a job he wanted, and a black guy got it. Mm -hmm. And he was sure, and I have no idea, who knows, but he was sure it was an affirmative action thing, you know, that he was more qualified. But, by the way, if you don't know, affirmative action um, is the idea that a company has to have a certain percentage of each minority, and they have to look for them. There's more to it than that, but that's the oversimplified version of it. But anyway, I say all that because... That was what caused racism in my family. My dad didn't get the job because a black guy got it because supposedly he was black, and so now all black people are just lazy and they just get stuff for free. And da, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, but I say that because it was born out of an experience, this one experience that was then stamped on other people. And again, not even fairly. I mean, I have no idea. I was a kid at the time. The guy may very well have been more qualified than my dad. Um, right. It was just the poor perception. Um, so if you had Aladdin's genie, mm. what would Chuck Smith do to deal with the injustice problems in Georgia, United States, world? Wow. I think it's something as simple as what we talked about a while ago at lunch. If we could just have more conversations like this. Find somebody that you feel or deem or have a mindset about and have a conversation with. And they'll either confirm what you thought or they'll dispel what you thought. But one way or the other, you'll get some type of you'll get some type of revelation from it. Mm -hmm. And I would I would venture to say more more often than not, it'd probably dispel some of the misconceptions and prejudices you had about that person. Um, nine times out of ten, I believe. If not more. Um, so yeah, just conversations. Let's have honest, face-to-face -face conversations. Which are hard. I'm not saying that's easy. Let's just have honest, open, transparent conversations about what we feel, what we think, why we think what we think. For instance, what you just said, you may have used to think a certain way because of what your dad impressed upon you from his experience. And once you realize, oh, I think this way because of that, not because this is what I really think. Mm -hmm. And start to rehash and re- manufacture and re, you know, rebuild mm -hmm. your psyche and your psychology about things, people's concepts, whatever it may be. Yeah. This just starts with a conversation. So we have some great conversation there in the first half of this episode. So stick with us here a little more. We'll finish up with the second half. Hope you enjoyed that first half. We'll be right back.
Thanks. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, man. Okay, so go back to the uh, letter from Birmingham Jail. Um, there's a quote in the letter that I really liked um, that I thought kind of stood out in today's environment. Uh, he says, I've reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block and his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor. I'm sorry for the truck noise. Um, it's not the white citizen counselor or the Ku Klux planner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than justice. Who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice? Who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action? Do you think that is, do you think it is the job of uh, Christians who do have a position of privilege, uh, regardless of what it is, whether it's white, whether it's being in America, whether it's just whatever it is, do you think that we need to use that to help others and take a stand? I would say not just Christians, but definitely Christians, and not just of privilege. You know, because we we all are we all are powerful beyond our imaginations, privileged or not. Just anybody's voice. It could be a homeless man's voice, but if he's if he's speaking for righteousness, it's powerful. You know, so not just privilege and not just Christian, but especially Christian. If we if we espouse and believe what we claim to believe and represent, I feel on some levels we have an obligation to stand with what's right, even if we don't agree with it. I know that's contradictory, but and I guess if you don't agree with it, you may not think it's right. I don't know. It's, it's the psychology gets a little deep there, but. In short, um, I think yes. I think a short answer is yes, that we're obligated as representatives of a most high God to do what we can to stand on the side of right. And and to offer whatever we have to offer to do that, whether it's money and if you're, if you're privileged or whether it's just you're good at math or you're good at building stuff. Use your hands. If you build stuff, use your hands to do something righteous for somebody who maybe can't. That that chips away at the block of, you know, unrighteousness and prejudice and whatever other ism you want to throw out there. Thank you. Yeah. There's a quote in the middle of that quote that you gave, it, and I noticed it too when I reread it this morning. And by the way, it's pure coincidence that Mr. Williams and I both read it. It it wasn't a signed reading or anything like that. But he says something like, "They prefer order to justice." Um, and I, I, harp, I harp on that because, like I mentioned earlier, if people's appetites are met, if their bellies are full, you know, if there's a roof over their head, stuff like that, which, by the way, probably means they have power because that's not true for a lot of people in the world. But if everything's right in my world, I don't really give a hoot about the rest of the world and any injustice that anybody else might be feeling. Um, they prefer order to justice. Um, we're going to watch Dark Knight whenever school resumes. And the line from Dark Knight that I harp on over and over and over again is you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Mm. I say all that because if you are going to speak out against any injustice, if you're going to devote yourself to 
helping others, whether that's, you know, um, you know, literacy for women across the world or whether that's um, helping out the neighbor across the street or the, the single mom in your church or whatever, there is going to be a cost. You cannot have both comfort and um, love. I, I didn't really mean it to come out that sharp, but there you go. You cannot have comfort and love on this side of eternity. If we love people, we will have to get uncomfortable because we value their needs more than we value our comfort. Ergo, we will give up to some degree our comfort. We will die a hero so that we don't live long enough to become the villain. Um, and I say that because the people that uh, Dr. King referred to, the, the white moderates, the silent white majority, um, chose to live long enough to be the villain. They chose comfort. They didn't want to um, rock the boat because everything was good in their world. Um, one of, and again, the whole letter is just fantastic, but that part where Dr. King starts talking about how if I could tell you what it's like to watch police slap your 70-year-old women and get nothing for it, if I could tell you what it's like to watch police dogs unleashed on your young men for no other reason than they were black, if I could tell you what it's like to tell your six-year-old child she can't go to this amusement park because it's only for white people and to see the hurt and the anger already starting to form in your six-year-old daughter then you'd start to understand and to appreciate, and then you would seek justice. Um, but I say that because when you're in the position of comfort or privilege, you don't, you don't know, right? Like you don't know what it's like to have to deal with that stuff that Dr. King just described. Um, and so appreciating, not appreciating, because you can't appreciate it if you don't go through it, but seeking to understand what it's like I think is part of it. And then once you do understand what it's like, trying to end it, trying to overcome it. Even something as simple as, you know, when somebody tells an off-color joke or something like that, and it's, you know, five or six of you, are you going to die a hero and say, hey, man, that, that was kind of funny, but I don't, I don't really think we should, I, I don't think we should talk like that. Or just, you know, you silently laugh along and let it go. What, what are you going to do? And, you know, some things are easier than others, though. You know, in a group of five or six people, you might say, I can, I can get a new group of five or six people. I'm going to tell you all what I think, and I'll find some more friends. But if it's your job yeah. and your mortgage and your car payment and your kid's college fund depends on it, you're going to be a little less likely to speak up. Yeah, Let's be true. real. So we, we, circumstances make us tough. Some circumstances make us bolder than other circumstances. Yeah, that's true. And some people just don't care. They're going to tell you how it is regardless. So it's, it's just, a, we have to consider that as well. There, there are factors that determine how courageous you're going to be sometimes. Yeah. You know, so, um, if, it's, if I'm one of 80 people in a group, I'm probably going to take the path of least resistance and say, you know what? Like I said, I'm comfortable, I'm good, I'm not about to fight 79 people. Yeah. As opposed to me and you talking, I might tell you, and then if we don't make it, then peace and love, we can amicably find new friends. So there, there are dynamics as well. So I respect anyone who can <clears throat> go against the path of least resistance and do just what's right, mm -hmm. regardless of the circumstances. That's true. I'm going to take the blow, whatever the blow is because of this. Here's what it is. 
And I'll take whatever comes with it. Right. Dying a hero versus living long enough to become a villain. For sure. Um, one of the, th well, I got two more things that I would love to hear thoughts on, but one of the things that I'd offer for anybody, we've kind of mentioned this already, but I would say is the danger of groupthink. Mm. And I don't know, maybe groupthink has always been a thing, but it seems to me like in the past 15 years, with the rise of specific news corporations and social media, groupthink has become more powerful, which is, when I say groupthink, what I mean is, you have to think like the group, and if you differ like the group, you're canceled. Or you just don't even think, you adopt whatever the group says. Because, like, um, it's pretty rare that you get, um, um, I'm trying to think, it's pretty rare that you get objective news. True. And, I mean, to be fair, like, technically there is no such thing as objective news, but... Um, a lot of times when we get news today, whether it's Fox News or headline news or whatever, there's already a certain spin on it. There's a spin on the headline or whatever. You know, instead of just, instead of whatever, reporting um, citizens, protest, um, George Floyd murder, or, you know, um, um, group invades capital grounds. It's stuff like, you know, um, um, great, you know, nonconformists speak up for injustice or, you know, anyway, you get what I'm saying? Like, or ex-con killed by police. Yeah. That makes the other group say, right. oh, well, he's ex-con. And the other group sees George Floyd murdered. Yeah. And they feel, oh, another murder. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's tailored for whoever's listening. That's right. And so my point is just to say that I, I think one is just realizing that groupthink is a thing and then realizing that there are alternatives. I mean, if the only news I ever get is Fox News or headline news, I'm not even going to be open to the other perspective. I'm never going to hear it or another perspective. I talk right. like there's only two sides to every coin, but in real life it's like a very many-sided uh, dice or something right. like that. <laughs> um, right. So, and I say this especially thinking of students because this is for students. I mean, forever, when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, what your friends think is so big. That's always been the case. Absolutely. Um, and now with, with social media, it's become an even bigger thing. You know, you have to have this stance on this position or else. But I just, I want to free, um, I want to free everybody from having to do groupthink. Maybe the group's right. So be a good, respectful skeptic. Take a look at what they say. Take a look at why they say it. Take a look at all the facts. And if you come to the same conclusion, then hold it. But if you come to a different conclusion, then don't be afraid to break from the group. Uh, group's not automatically right on, on any issue. Right. I think it's important, too, for all of us to be aware, especially young people. You have to be aware of how what you listen to, read, look at shapes your thinking. Oh, is that true? It, music, for example. If your music says, get money any way you can, don't matter how you get it, just get money, 
you'll start to formulate ways to get money, and it doesn't matter how you get it. It, it, it's a programming, literally, of sorts. So you have to be mindful. Be mindful of not only what you think, but be mindful of what is influencing what you think. I always often say, think about what you're thinking about. Yeah. Why am I thinking this? And this? What has shaped this? And is what I'm thinking sound? And that's what gets back to everything. It gets back, well, for me at least. I don't speak for anybody else. It gets back to the gospel for us. You have to have a metric by which to say, is what I'm thinking sound? Here's the gospel metric by which you can measure what you're thinking. If it doesn't measure up with the gospel, probably not what you need to be focused on. True that. It's that simple and that complex. Yeah. Well said. You know? Well said. So think about what you're thinking about, guys, and, and take take you know, take take inventory. Find some people you trust. Find some find some wisdom that you trust, and say, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking. How do you see this?" Mm-hmm. Not that that's the law, but you know, get perspectives. Perspective is key. Get as many perspectives from as many people as you can, and then between all those perspectives, you can formulate. You can work out what's right and what's wrong, what makes sense and what doesn't. But Absolutely. be aware of your th- your thoughts. Yeah. Don't let anybody else think for you. For sure. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, even when I read a book, I find myself thinking the way the author writes unconsciously. Right. You know, you watch films and or TV shows and you find yourself reacting the way a certain character or whatever that you like on the film or TV show would. And you're like, wait, why am I doing this? Right. This is sort of changing subject, sort of not. And again, you can you can pass. But um I'm curious what uh, the thesis of white fragility is because I still haven't gotten around to reading it. Mm. Um, I like the title. Right. If you're willing to share, what's the basic idea in white fragility and do you think it's right? Um, I won't call it right or wrong as much as I call it a, a perspective that I can agree with. Okay. It may be right or wrong to different people. It's more. It's more of like a an opinion that's been well researched more so than a right or wrong. So I won't give it that designation, but um, <clears throat> I have to think about it. It's been a while since I listened to it, but I mean, it basically deals with to a degree the the psychology or the vulnerability that is evoked when one is made aware of something that they've believed, been taught and or believed that is inherently wrong, but being confronted by it makes them feel attacked or makes them feel as if, understandably so as well, makes them feel as if something that they've always known to be true, the thought that it could possibly not be true and coming to grips with the with the paradigm shift that would be required for you to stop thinking and believing something that you've always known to be true. Mm-hmm. The struggle that that would present. Uh, in particular, though, the white fragility deals specifically with views on race and racism, particularly in the United States, and tearing down those uh, psyches and those uh, ideals that have long stand, you know, mm-hmm. long stood here in the United States. 
that's a small part of what it's about, but it's a, it's a much more practical read. It's, it's more uh, individual based and like case study type approach as opposed to just a broad philosophical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's intriguing in that sense. It's much like what we're talking about here now based on workshops and things that this uh, professor has actually done, uh, a European, a female European, so a professor who's actually studied and for years mm-hmm. in the field and really come up with her pretty much her, her documented research about what she's discovered and her view, her perspective based on that research. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a good, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things you listen to more than once. Mm-hmm. I actually want to listen to it again myself. It's, it's one of those kind of, uh, for me um, as well, um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis is a lot like that. Mm-hmm. I can, I want to hear it again. I've heard it twice. I want to I want to do it again because it's always. I always say he's the first. He's my favorite gangster rapper. <laughs> he doesn't hold any punches. He'll tell you how it is. That's awesome. And coming from where he comes from as an atheist, yeah, to a believer, he keeps it like because atheists tend to be, give me the facts. Mm-hmm. If the facts don't make sense, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, that's how it is with the, with the gospel. Here's the facts. Here's what converted me. Here's what it is. Here's what it's not. Take it or leave it. I'm not going to try so to convince true. you and persuade you and beg you and lollipop you into it. Here's what it is. Take yeah. it or leave it. It's, you, you, we're going to go off trail for just a few moments probably here, but you bring up two thoughts for me. One is C.S. Lewis's Weight of Glory is my favorite thing written outside the Bible. Weight of glory. Weight of glory. It's depending on what version you get. It's nine to twelve pages long. It's just a surrogate, That's it? but it's thick, man. It's like cheesecake. I mean, wow. there is so much in there. Um, it's the one where he talks about how Jesus finds our pleasures too shallow, not too deep. Oh. We settle for drink and food, and when we really, sh- it's kind of like what we're talking about. When we really should desire Jesus and greatness and uh, significance and being part of the kingdom of God and that kind of thing. Um, right. You know, do you want to be part of something great or do you want to, whatever, eat potato chips and hot right. dogs and watch the football game? Like, right. What do you really want in life? Um, but anyway, it's fantastic. But um, um, Tim Keller talks about how there's certain news that demands a response. Mm-hmm. Like there's some news that you that you hear and it doesn't you, you don't have to respond to it. If you hear the weather report for Nepal, that doesn't mean anything to you. Right. If you hear, you know, your son's just been in a wreck, that demands a response. For you sure. have to respond to that. If if somebody, you know, if somebody hears your son's just been in a wreck and they shrug, something's amiss in that for person. Sure. And I say that because one of the things that um, he says is the gospel is news that demands a response mm-hmm. to hear someone say Jesus is Lord you have to respond to that just like if you heard the wreck you're like okay I gotta hear more tell me where to go tell me what to learn blah 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 right. if you hear Jesus is Lord you have to say okay tell me about this and then you have to say okay that's right or no that's a bunch of hogwash right but he says anybody who hears Jesus is Lord or, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins or whatever, and then is like, okay, like over your head. Right. You, you missed it. You got you to gotta do something with that. Right. So anyway, I don't, just kind of a connection to the whole atheist news. This is what it is. Take it or leave it right. kind of thing. You do have to take it or leave it. 
which I dare say is true of injustice too. I think if we if we hear about redlining, if we hear about um, if we hear about different SAT scores for different uh, different SAT scores or different SAT standards for different racial backgrounds, I don't know. I think we. I don't think that's news that you can kind of just shrug your shoulders at right. fairly. Um, right. I think the I think for us as Christians, one of the things that I'd invite all of us, the students and us as well, to consider is um, what is the Bible's view of racial getting alongness um, you know I don't think color blindness is right right you know let's all just pretend we all bleed red I mean there's something to that but I don't think ignoring race is the answer and of course nor do I think making it everything and you know if you're Asian descent you're going to be this way if you're Arab you're going to be this way that's not right either but I do think recognizing that there's something to our backgrounds of whatever kind, including our races. And that is something that, uh, put it this way, it shows God's glory that he is magnified and rejoiced in by a diverse people, or by, by diverse peoples. Right. He is the God of all races, not just white man, black man, Native American, blah, blah, blah. If we think about it too, though, I think maybe... The concept of race is relatively new. Intriguing. You know, the Bible's culturally based. You know, you got Egyptians and Greeks and this, but black, white, that's a relatively contemporary concept. Okay. Um, seemingly. Um, and again, I think it's another one of those devices that have been created by man to help not only divide. But of course, when you divide, you can control better. Yeah. So we're going to categorize you based on these titles we've created. And you'll be able to identify specific yeah. types of people based on these titles. Isn't that true? Yeah, so. Even the, um, oh, what's their names? The people in Africa, like in the Hotel Rwanda movie, the mm -hmm. Hutus and the Tutsis. Tutsi. Is that right? Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, that was totally just a label. And look what has come of it. That's it. Um, it's an extreme example, but it's... Just like the caste system. Is it India? It's yeah. The caste system. That's right. Um, it's just race is a little easier because you can visually... Right. You know what... Assign it. Right. Pretty quickly, but uh, you're right. It's, it's a, just a construct to... And it's a divisive one, but in short, though, does the scripture speak against it? Sure, because God makes it clear that he doesn't like discord. I think if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the seven deadly sins. God hates the one who sows discord among his brothers. Yep, that's right. That's what it's all about, discord. We divide right. you up into race, we can keep you divided. That's discord. It's true. So, yeah, he, the Bible does speak against that. Anything that divides us negatively, I don't think there's any division. It's positive, I guess. Separation, division, not the same. I guess. But at any rate, yes, the Bible does address that. Sowing discord is not looked upon Positively, by God. True that. And as we as we deal with injustice, 
or whatever, look at injustice and address injustice. I think that's a good point to make. That um, is this going to cause division or is this going to heal? It's very easy to cause division. I mean, it makes money. Let's let's not forget the money that's to be made by having headlines said a certain way or to support certain causes and not to support others because, you know, people will pay money for that. Um, whatever, that kind of thing, you know. Um, you know, you get money for, or advertisers get money because they clicked on your headline that had a certain spin to it. Um, but um, healing is a lot harder. Mm -hmm. It's not as sexy. It takes time. It doesn't make as much money short term, but it's better. Um, there's a really good phrase that, I can't remember who said it, but um, people need love the most when they deserve it the least. Mm -hmm. So when you see people rioting or responding negatively or trash talking or whatever, those are the people who need love, need openness, need an ear. But unless you empathize, it's harder to give love that to those who need it. Isn't that true? Like you, as you said. Yeah. But it takes that step three, I think it was. You got to plan and say, okay, wait a minute. If, if I'm in your shoes, I can kind of see where that would hurt me too. Let me show you some love empathetically. Isn't that true? So it's all relative. Such good stuff. Well, that's what I got. I hope for the students listening that that was helpful. I know it was for me. Um, always helped me. Conversation is good, always. Yeah. Anything that uh, you want to end with or share, anything like that? I just encourage anyone, everyone, you guys just, uh, and some of you probably heard me say this before, just be confident enough to be who you are and <clears throat> those that are for you, you'll attract and you'll be around. And those that aren't for you, that's okay because not everybody's going to like you in life. And that's fine. Not Everybody's not supposed to like you. If everybody likes you, that means you're probably doing, you've got several faces that you put on to please different groups, which isn't a good thing. So be the authentic you and know that your people will, you'll attract your people being you. You don't have to change who you are or fake who you are to fit in anywhere. That's not the life you want to lead. Start practicing that now. Well said. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you have a joyous one. Cheers. Well, that's it, y'all. As usual, I sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you got something from it, some perspective, some insight, some idea. As usual, I'm leaving you with peace and love. If you would, check out my website, theknowingplace.net, my YouTube channel, The Knowing Place. I'm on all the social media sites at The Knowing Place, except for Twitter, which is just Knowing Place. And my email, the letter T, knowingplace at gmail.com. So just reach out to me somewhere. Send me a note, critique, feedback, whatever you want to do. Until then, be safe, keep thinking, keep healthy perspectives, focus on the goal. If you don't have a goal, set a goal. Get around some people smarter than you are, and you'll come up to their level before long, and success will be yours.
Let's grow together. Again, peace and love always. I'm going to send y'all with a little bit more of that Robert Glass for now. Take care. That's Robert Glasper featuring her and Michelle and Degiocello. So smooth, so evocative. Just let this take you on out.